You are listening to the Unusually Well-Informed Podcast. Welcome to the Unusually Well-Informed Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Hampton. My Unusually Well-Informed guest today is Natty Gurr. Natty is a proponent of self-managed teams based on non-deterministic management principles. He helps leaders use systems thinking and chaos theory to meet complex management and business challenges. Natty is also the author of the book titled Eco-Autonomous Organization, which examines ways organizations can fit the realities of modern business. Today, Natty and I are discussing lean and agile management and the nature of decentralized, distributed, and autonomous organizations. Natty, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for your time. It's my pleasure. So, Natty, you say that conventional management's main flaw is that it is based on principles and concepts for a linear world. What impact does that have and how has the world changed? Um, so let's start with the fact that most of the principles that you're using, I think it uh, popped more than once in your, in your previous chats, are an outcome of um, whatever happened in the beginning or the end of um, the Industrial Revolution. So we're talking about principles that, uh, you know, administration or tailor, uh, which um, are heavily based on um, the world of engineering. So they are taking into account that you're dealing with very simple problems or let's say complicated problems, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, there aren't so much um, elements that create uncertainty in the system. And um, all of the management system that we have today heavily based on that, um, that's, that's the fact, okay? Now, the problem is that uh, the world changed, especially in the last 20 years, like it starts from globalization, um, and it's just uh, increasing in exponentially exponential way. And right now we are dealing with very complex world. I think that um, I forgot the name of the, the guy. Uh, what was the name of the guy who was the brilliant uh, scientist that passed away? Uh, phys physicians. Um, at, at, at which, sorry? Uh, the, 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 I forgot his name. He used to, he, he couldn't speak and he used to have uh, this device. Like he was. Oh, Stephen Hawking? So he said that uh, the next century is the century of complexity. Uh, so this, is, this is, I think, important for for. I, I come. I have an engineering background, and mm -hmm. and sometimes in a specific field, we have two words that sound synonymous to most people, but actually mean different things, like stress and strain. So stress is how much you push on an object; strain is how much it bends roughly speaking. Mm -hmm. um, there's a distinction you're making between complex and complicated. Can you outline what that is? Yeah. So let's start with simple and let's use an example. Okay. Okay. So if I ask you, what is the top of Mount Fuji? It's a simple problem. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is to point on the peak and say, this is the top. If I'm going to ask you, what is the um, highest part of the ever of the Rockies? Uh, it would take you much more time to deal with it due to the fact that there are um, so many peaks and there are some relationship between them, perspective, and actually it took human humanity a lot of time to find the highest peak. 
So this is more complicated problem, okay? Um, now, imagine that the rockies are subject now to um, activity, volcanic activities and are erupting all the time and uh, they are changing their heights all the time and you don't know exactly when the eruption is going to happen. Uh, so now you are dealing with uh, many parts, but the behavior of the system is simply unpredictable. And the main difference between complicated and complex is the predictability of the system. I'm building a bridge. I know exactly what's going to be on the both ends, okay? Uh, I want to improve people's safety. I don't have a clue what the behavior is going to be of someone that came today to work and, I don't know, he's punching steel. That is a, that, I, I have to say, Nadi, that is a fascinating definition. I love it because you've introduced the, the importance of a system being in flux to distinguish between com complicated and complex. Um, the, the complicated, you can spend time analyzing the situation and come up with the right decision. With, com with complex, you could spend that time analyzing the situation and the situation will change while you're analyzing it. True. I love that. Well done. So, you know, back to your uh, question, previous one. Um, the, the word move from production lines, which means that the people that work with their hand to people that working with their head. Mm -hmm. So that's a major shift. In, uh, I'm not talking about the, you know, the overall complexity of the environment, of, of, of the financial environment, which we kind of touched earlier, but also inside companies, uh, now you're dealing more with people that have to think. So when you're depending on someone thinking, you're depending on communication. We all know communication is a complex problem, okay? Um, so from both internally and externally, you find yourself dealing more with the complex problem. And the problem is that the tools that you're using for engineering will simply fail apart when you're trying to use them to resolve complex problem. Now I'm going to ask you what are the tools to resolve complex problem and I doubt it you can answer. <laughs> you can? Well, I hope you can tell me. I, I can help. Uh, but before you go in that direction, just to, to, for people to understand that uh, they, they're actually missing the tool set or the thinking that's required to deal with complex problem. And um, funny enough, they are kind of uh, the opposite of the tools that they're using for engineering. Mm. And we, we simply miss them. So what happened is that uh, uh, I'm using concepts that are old. I'm using tools set that are old. And then I'm surprised why, uh, what was the last number? I think 94% of every company failed. Or, uh, you know, retention is so low. Every metrics that you take in. So uh, if I take a business and I um, check the metrics and I'm comparing to people's health, it will be a disaster. Mm. It's, it's a, the worst pandemic that we ever had in a business if you compare the numbers, yeah? Yes. And, and there, there is a reason why, you know, not what, not what I'm saying is the only reason, but it's definitely part of the reason. Um, and that's the reason why I think that... Um, there is a huge difference between the tool set of the past and what we, most of us tend to use and what exists in, in, in other, uh, what, what other option and how you're using that. And, you know, we will probably going to touch other companies and how they're doing it. And you'll find out that uh, most of the successful companies has some elements of uh, those methods 
that are um, actually fit to deal with complexity. And the first one that did a huge impact was actually Toyota. Yes. <laughs> with the Toyota products a system that uh, behind the scenes implement most of the elements that science find out uh, that are um, the one that needed in order to deal best with complexity. So you, d- you delve into a lot of these themes in your book, the, the eco-autonomous organization. The, the cover of your book features uh, birds in a murmuration. What is, what is this photo meant to evoke? What is, what, what is the metaphor there? So that's a complex adaptive system uh, in, in reality. And the unique uh, thing about complex adaptive system that there is no one that leads it, which is contradict. So, you know, in the beginning, people looked at the birds and they saw that usually there's a alpha bird that uh, gives all the right signal and the right communication. And, but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It's just following a simple dummy, I think three rules, uh, stay away from one each other, don't bunch one to each other. And if something goes through, um, stay away from that. And those three simple rules create those amazing structure that we see uh, in, in, in the air. And this is exactly what helps those lack of words, birds to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of the main concepts of <laughs> um, the science behind uh, how to deal with complexity. So... Can, let me let me break apart the term eco-autonomous. So autonomous, mm-hmm. I think we understand means that people have freedom of operation within, uh, that individuals are, are, are able to make their own decisions with, a, with transparency around the overall goal. But what, 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 how does eco fit in? What is the eco meant to evoke? It's a fractal. So it's a set of a set of a set of a set. So it's like the eco means that it's a part of something bigger, that's part of something bigger and it never kind of ends. Yeah. So it's sort of like the, uh, the ecology, like a, a nat- nature metaphor. Like if you look at the definition of eco is set of something. Oh, I see. Okay. So ecosystem okay. is a set of system. Okay. Eco autonomous is a set of autonomous and, you know, d- due to the nature of organization, which usually in hierarchical way, um, this, um, Autonomy should be done in each layer. So that's the reason why echo. And so that's an interesting way of viewing the world because, of course, no organization, no, they always say no man or no person is an island, but then so too is no, no uh, department within a company, no company within the, eco- the economy. It, it, we're all sort of, I mean, I guess this is what gets into systems theory, right? Is that, that we all have a role to play in a much larger system. True. Um, so you referenced the 1911 work, uh, by Taylor, and you, you mentioned it a little bit when you were talking about linear assembly lines, the book is called, uh, principles of scientific management and it has influenced today. So can we get into a little bit more detail about what are, what are the merits of that work? Cause I, I always sort of sit, think it's a bit unfair to criticize a hundred year old work that had so much utility at the time. It's more a question of what did it improve on? And what can be improved about it now? How, how do you see? How do you see those two things? What what problem was it solving, and what problem does it create now? So um, it's a brilliant work, yeah. Yeah. In in, in that time, uh, and uh, the problem that it solved is that there weren't any way how to improve production. 
um, people just came and did what they thought that needs to be done. And although it looks uh, very uh, horrific right now, uh, that was the fact. And he was the first one, uh, one of the, he wasn't the first one, but he was the first one that managed to have an impact uh, of uh, um, thinking uh, of, of how to use it in scientific measure, man, man, way. So, which means like we need to measure everything uh, and uh, we need to improve uh, upon the measurement that we have. Um, and uh, he coined the, the concept of um, there should be leaders and there should be doers, and there should be a, an extreme separation between leaders and doers. The leader needs to deal with the future or think uh, what needs to be done, and they need to give orders to the doers that uh, actually uh, needs to do the work the best that they can, and the um, leaders also need to find out whatever it's actually being done and improve it all the time, um, which is still a very common approach in any, or not any, in most of the organization that at the time I'm familiar with. So that went, that didn't went away. And that was a huge success because he managed to increase dramatically whatever he touched the, the uh, efficiency of the production line. Mm -hmm. And, and it was brilliant solution for the time because the problem that he deal, dealt with was a complicated problem. Right. So um, all you're doing is you are improving the production line. In those days, the machine was our hands. Uh, we move forward. So now it's a different set of problem. Um, so that, that's, that's why it's so great. And this is what the achievement that it did together with, with other uh, um, major changes that happened in parallel is not the only one, as always. Um, today, it's a subject to criticism because the environment that you're trying to improve is a complex environment. Mm -hmm. So just measuring and scrutinizing and uh, all the concept of uh, um, there are um, thinkers and doers and the thinkers will do something and it sounds so un un unrealistic or unfit. Um, and for a reason, okay, because you need to get people involved. You need them to be to care about the company. You need to have a common identity. That there are a lot of stuff that need to be in place in order to run sufficiently organization today. Um, and that's why it's so subject to criticism. Just not not a fit for what we are doing right now. And you know, like we'll get to it. So um, I'm working with the leader in in in. Um, Still, I don't want to say names, okay? That's fine. Uh, so I, I tell you it's Nucor, but just, just don't mention it. So he is working for the largest uh, steam manufacturer in, in the States. And when he hears Six Sigma, he becomes red, okay? Mm -hmm. Because for him, it's, it's simply a tool to scrutinize something, not a way to resolve a problem by giving people the ability to deal with them by themselves. So let me explore that because um, Six Sigma, I'm not very familiar with Six Sigma, partly because um, I gravitate to things like uh, design thinking and lean startup and because I have limited attention span. I want to try something and see how it goes. So there's a natural bias to the, to the idea of complexity theory, theory versus or complexity thinking rather than complicated thinking. I, I get uptight when we start talking about complicated work. Um, but is there never value? Because I, I think that the constant tension is 
do we look to be more effective? Are we constantly changing what we're doing? Or are we looking to be more efficient? Are we looking to refine what we're doing? And Six Sigma strikes me as an attempt to refine what we're doing so that the pills we get out of the factory have the exact right dosage and no impurities and are counted accurately. You know, I can see occasions when Six Sigma might be useful. Are you saying that it, it has no applications or that the applications are more limited than they find today? So it depends who you're asking, okay? I, I'm, I'm with this gentleman. I think that um, if you address people, so Six Sigma, when you're dealing with Six Sigma, you're dealing with the symptom. Mm. I have problem with quality. So I'm using measurement to scrutinize this problem. Okay. I can deal with this, uh, but, but this, is not, this is not the cause. Okay. The cause is much more deeper. Mm -hmm. So if I'm dealing with the cause and I'm resolving the cause, like for example, he spent a lot of time in, in common identity, not, not, uh, uh, you know, not a vision, not a mission and an identity. And when people gel with this identity, you see a spike in the quality without any Six Sigma. And that's the reason why he, he doesn't like it because from him, from, him, from his point of view, um, you are dealing with a symptom and you're not going to resolve the problem. You're going to improve it for a while and then it will come back. That's interesting. There was a headline about a year ago where a batch of uh, COVID vaccine was destroyed. Like I think, hundreds of thousands of doses were produced incorrectly and the headlines were all worker error. <laughs> right. And, and there was very little thought to given to why the process itself failed. So I, I can certainly, I'm certainly sympathetic to what you're describing. You know, you can, you, if, if you're, if you're trying to create a situation where you've got, you're, you're treating the problem, like it's the people on the line uh, that will cause problems down the, down the line. Um, and it's usually, by the way, Tim, an, an outcome of, um, of autonomy. So you are giving autonomy, mm -hmm. but without the right structure or tools to support it. And then what you find out that uh, people like you have those behavior. Um, so if you want to fix that let's say that this is the problem and you want to fix that. And you know, like uh, if you want to get into it, the uh, cybernetics has a concept that called viable system um, mapping VSM, which is like nice, easy to use tool to verify that um, your structure is actually um, created to support more autonomy. Um, you're going to fail. So you want to fix that. You Can you talk a little bit about cybernetics? That's one area I'm not familiar with at all. What is the definition of it and how is it applied? It's in a nutshell, it's the science of control. <laughs> so how you control systems. Um, and it has uh, several uh, elements um, inside. One is the concept of, uh, have you heard about of Ashbelow? No. Um, So when you're dealing, so what you're controlling in an organization, yeah, usually you're controlling the, the noise or whatever the environment um, uh, put, like um, you have to deal with the environment and environment create a lot of, let's call it variety. And you have to deal with this variety, okay? 
Um, so, the, so the first thing with cybernetics is that uh, you, the measure, you know how to measure everything that is complicated, mm -hmm. but when you're going to measure complex, you are actually measuring variety. So variety is, is and um, this like Ashby laws that says in order to, um, in order to beat variety, you need more variety, <laughs> which means that uh, if I want to beat my competitors, I need to have more variety as my competitors, okay? okay. Um, and now, now there's a nice paradox. This is not uh, cybernetics, it's more like an insight. So there's a nice paradox. Uh, if, uh, when people say, I want to reduce complexity, they're actually shooting themselves in the leg mm. because uh, to, to perform well in the market, they increase variety. They increase variety, they increase their complexity. So that's interesting. <laughs> okay, so let me, let me explore that. And, and I think you know I have a particular uh, fascination with Tesla and SpaceX. And mm -hmm. um, so there's a few, there, there's some push and pull when it comes to complexity in, within Tesla. On the one hand, they really at this point have four models of cars, two of which are very similar to one another. And they were going to produce the Cybertruck and the Semi and the Roadster, but they're like, you know what, 2022, we're just going to focus on what we know we have people, you know, we can make three times as many cars if we just focus on that. So there's a, there's a few interesting threads here because a lot of people compare Tesla or space or excuse me, Elon Musk to Henry Ford. Henry Ford was like, you can have a Model T, you can have it in black. We're going to punch out a million of these things. On the one hand, that's a reduction of complexity. But on the other hand, Tesla is famous for introducing new changes to its cars every, every day. Some people say three times a day. Um, is, this a, is, is this Tesla falling into a trap that Ford did when it didn't have as many models uh, and therefore GM beat them? Or, or, or something different? What do you see? I know. I think it's completely different. So... The fact that there are, so they found a way to create variety in a different way. The variety is not in the number of cars like GM, okay? Mm -hmm. The variety is the number of features that the car have. And right. this is how they beat their competitors, okay? Um, they can't they can, um, follow them in, in the rate that they are doing it. So it's not Ford. Ford was just one car, one feature, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. It gets you from A to B. That's the feature. <laughs> um, one thing that I, I don't know if we can uh, credit Taylor with this, but I think Taylor was was a contemporary of people in this space, and that is the the introduction of uh, uh, interchangeable parts. It may predate Taylor, but this idea that that uh, whereas a car used to be made like like Rolls Royces were, even until modern times, where they were all hand fit. And every piece was art, artisans. We're working on making them fit and look just right. But then he said, no, 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 we're going to make them all the same. And we're going to work on how they, how parts fit together. We're going to study that. It's going to be, become scientific. One of the knock-on effects was it started to treat people as interchangeable as well. Can you comment on that in light of what you're saying about, we don't want to just use people's hands. We want to use their, their, their minds as well. Yeah, I don't know what to comment about. So, um, what you say is true. It's so. 
I know, guide we... me. I, I'm missing. I'm missing. Yeah, missing. that's fair. Uh, I guess um, one of the things that I found, and and we spoke a little bit before the show, that I interviewed somebody who used to work at Tesla, and what he said was that you could start your day by looking for something useful to do. That you were free. You had a lot of freedom and autonomy. You weren't told, okay, well, your job is to install this piece of trim on the bumper every day, a thousand times a day. And so it, it, in that sense, it feels like a departure from Ford as well in that people are free to be individuals as opposed to replaceable parts. And if you don't do a thousand a day, if you do 999, we're going to get Bill to do it instead. For And he's going to do a thousand and one. That's a good reason to get rid of you. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a few things there. One is it sounds like a pretty unpleasant job, <laughs> but mm-hmm. two, um, uh, it talks about self-organization, which is, I know something you studied and you talk about uh, how to do in your book, how, how it seems strikes me as very challenging to have an organization where people can just show up and find something useful to do. Uh, I can see problems arising from that. How do you make sure that they actually do accomplish something useful? Okay, so let, let me understand your question now. Okay, so I'm just going one step back. Um, so what you see in Tesla is actually um, better than Ford and better than GM. Mm-hmm. Okay, and even slightly better than Toyota <laughs> because uh, they took uh, the concept of, uh, let's call it right now, complex adaptive system, which is a science that explains how systems are, are better dealing with um with complexity and they implement one of the main elements inside. Okay, so it's a huge difference from everything that you saw before, and uh, I assume that that's part of the success. Uh, I'm not there. I'm not working there. I didn't. I don't have any connections there, so I'm assuming. Uh, I know in other uh, companies that I um, that I'm helping or uh, work that I've done by myself, it was a huge part of the success. Um, and it can be done, so that's the second question, if you have a very clear identity of, or, or a goal of what you're The doing. organization. Yeah, that yeah. everyone, so you know, not even a business goal, like an identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so let, let me give you an example for a company that I know, uh, Zappos, um, th- their identity is we are, we are a service company that happened to sell shoes. Right. Okay. So it's not a big, it's not a goal. It just tells everyone, okay, our focus is actually service. Okay. Uh, you're connected to happiness and everything, you know, the story behind it. But uh, uh, that's the identity. Uh, and uh, you, you can't do any element or any level of autonomy if that's not in place, first and foremost. Right. Right. Okay, okay th- th- then, then, so let me like introduce two other, okay. Th- yeah. Then there is the, 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 let's call it check and balances, okay. Uh, and I'm going back to uh, VSM and cybernetics uh, because everything that you find in Tesla, I think that you find exists in the VSM, okay. Um, so this, um, you, you ought to have a function or functions that are responsible for synchronization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's the balance. They are not part of day-to-day management. Okay, they are a dedicated function, usually cross business unit that um, helps with the synchronization. 
if there is no synchronization, then obviously, if you're coming to work and you can do whatever you want, you will not necessarily do something that is aligned with others and you create more damage. Yeah. And the second one is less sexy. <laughs> Uh, and that's the check. So you need to have um, systems in place that gives feedback back to um, the level who is uh, more responsible on the strategy that whatever they put in place actually happened in reality. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's given assurance that although I came to work and I decided to do A and you came to work and decided to do B, if um, if though if this function uh, you know it could be metrics it could be coaching it's like there are very creative ways how to get it without uh, the classical audit that is more tailored um, that working actually much better uh, but that gives an assurance that uh, um, the ship is going actually in the right direction uh, if you're missing those three like the identity the check and balances um, this autonomy will turn out to be a catastrophe. So let me pick up on something you said there about an audit. Uh, this is something I've been thinking about is, is the it, feedback is welcome, but delayed feedback is not. And if I have a, if I'm playing a video game and I just play it blindly and a year later, it tells me, well, we're going to audit your performance. Uh, I'm not going to play that game. It's no fun. I don't know how I'm doing. All I know is I'm being reprimanded a year from now. How can, where have you seen companies succeed in making feedback much quicker so that people can feel that they're contributing to the identity? So I'm back to the steel company, okay? Production mm -hmm. line, the lowest level, okay? Yeah. Um, physical work, um, welding, um, hitting metal, very simple, <laughs> creating joist. Okay, very simple work. Yeah. Um, a lot of autonomy. But there is one screen. And this screen shows uh, in a very uh, nice way how many joists you've done so far. Mm -hmm. uh, is your current one is upper or lower comparing to the pace that you have? List of all the people. What is the impact on their bonus? Okay. <laughs> simple, That's direct feedback, all right? Simple, straightforward. So yeah, you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. You know exactly how it's going to impact you. So that brings to mind another theme that you raise in your book. And, and the quote is, you should fight cognitive bias with data. True. So um, you've talked about one very clear way. You know, you may go into work and you may go home thinking you did a great job. But if the number of girders is going down, um, there's a famous story, or uh, I, I read, um, I think it was Liftoff, uh, about SpaceX's infancy and how it grew to, and I, I, I don't want to get this wrong. I'll probably will get some of the details wrong, but basically it was, um, how many days until launch of the first vehicle or, or a coming vehicle was placed above the urinals, in the <laughs> washrooms at the company. Like this was the metric. You don't need to screen for this. It's just one thing. This is what we're focusing on. Um, but you know, the, there's a quote, I think it's Deming, uh, in God, we trust everybody else has to bring data. Have you heard this? Mm. I didn't um, hear that, but it fits Deming. Yeah. It fits Deming. 
So how do you fight cognitive bias with data? How, 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 how do you construct a company that relies on data? Well, it's not constructing, it's culture. Okay. So, um, and it's tough. Mm-hmm. And Elon has, a, an advantage, Elon has an advantage because he started from scratch. In an era where everything was computerized. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, if you take other organizations, it's much more harder. Um, and it's culture. And the only way to do it is to show people again and again that their concepts are um, wrong. <laughs> and it's happened all the time. You know, like last week, I, I'm working with someone and, oh, our performance is awesome. They, they lost money last year. Right. Um, and previously, uh, our, our performance are awesome. And they were bought by another company, okay? And this company expects to see at least 10% growth each and every year. But they have mm-hmm. at least they have less than one percent growth each and every year. So performance are far away from being awesome. They're actually very bad. But they I never agree. thought that way. Okay, and that's because a wake all, up call. Yeah. yeah, but they never thought that way because all they care is like, oh, uh, I earned last year ten million. Today it's like ten million and two. I'm doing fine. Yeah. No, you are not doing fine. <laughs> it depends uh, on your definition of good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Um, Someone bought them. He has expectations. So exactly. whatever yeah. had. Uh, so now is there is a gap, uh, and uh, the data doesn't support the story. Okay. Um, so you know the, you can find it anywhere. Um, people tend to jump to conclusion based on their feeling, and based on the fact that the past was uh, always marvelous, and now it's really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're looking data, usually you find out that that's not the case. Um, so you have to enforce it. If someone show me, if someone tells me um, we improved quality significantly last uh, month, show me uh, how many defects we had, how many defects. So you said earlier that that uh, Elon Musk had an advantage because he started Tesla quite recently. Um, and one of the characteristics you list of complex adaptive systems in, in your book is dependence on initial conditions. What do you mean by this? Why is that so important? Okay, so um, it's a scientific word. Um, it's actually what people tend to know as the butterfly effect. Okay. Uh, and, and if I boil it down to business term that uh, people will understand, it's um, internal events that um, amplify drivers that push people to do different stuff within the organization. Okay, uh, I can go to the to, to the science behind the scene. It's really going to bother, like it's it's boring, <laughs> and people won't <laughs> understand it because like it's 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 science. Okay, but in the natural that that's the fact. Uh, if you, if there is, I can, I can explain high level. So the idea about uh, uh, that is that um, uh, when uh, you have set of um, states of a system and if uh, you have a multiple driver, let's say two, um, they will stretch those uh, list of like the, the possible states into two different uh, sides. Think about uh, two stars that moving and they have uh, gravity and each one of them will gravitate one of the elements. So they are going to stress, stretch. And one point of time, um, the stretch is going to be tear. 
And now half of the states going around this and half of the states going around the other one. Mm-hmm. And when uh, they're um, moving, they are getting what, part of them getting closer, part of them getting farther, further, and then they're catch by the other one. And it's kind of a, a stretch and fold, stretch and fold, stretch and fold, which end up with unpredictable behavior of the system, okay? So um, the sensitivity of initial conditions says that um, the way that I, like a minor change in the way that uh, the initial states were will have a huge impact on what I have over the time. Mm-hmm. The stretch and fold or stretch and tear kind of ex- 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 explains scientifically how it's being done. Right. Since in business term, all you have to have is too many events that will amplify multiple drivers that um, control people's behavior. So is this, a, is this a way of looking at legacy impacts? Like, you know, Ford started with a single model. It started in Dearborn, Michigan. It started at a certain time. It started with a certain set of uh, divisions. And they were adaptive at the time, but then they become rigid. They become concrete. Like we have, we have an engine division and a transmission division. And... That has that has an impact on electric vehicles. Often, the transmission and the engine and the motor are integrated far more than than in a car, like in a, an internal combustion car. Is that is that an example of an, an initial condition having knock on effects down the road? Yes, but you find the initial condition on a daily basis. So you start the day, and you, you don't know how you're going to end it. True, uh, but <laughs> it certainly uh, feels that way. But there are, if you go backward and you uh, do some research, you find out that um, tiny, tiny change in the initial condition, uh, let's say it's production, it's the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. But there are like tiny, tiny changes that you won't even think that they they have an impact, but they do have an impact uh, due to the way that the system are operating. And um, that will end up two days completely different. One with the, I don't know, um, someone loses his finger, and the other one uh, with a high level of uh, productivity that you never had before. Right. So let's back up and talk a little bit about your role as an advisor to leadership, uh, looking to create the conditions for more. Uh, let me let me see if I even understand your role. But you 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 work with uh, leadership to create. Uh, more autonomy within organizations so that they can be more productive? Is that a fair way to describe it? So um, I'm, I'm, I'm a very honest guy. So this is how we started. We failed miserably. Okay. What did that okay. look like? Uh, people doesn't have any um, openness to, to change dramatically the way that they are running themselves. Um, yeah, and if you're starting some, you know, you're starting a business, you need to earn money in order to survive. That's not realistic. Like for us, it wasn't realistic. Mm-hmm. So we pivot. Uh, and what we, what we start to tell people, hey, we, we know complexity. We can understand what creates complexity in your, in your environment. So you have complex problem. We can help you to resolve your complex problem. We can get into the root cause and we can show you results that no one ever showed you before. And that helped us, like, this is how of we course. manage it. Yeah. Well, I think that's, 
that's a beautiful pivot because you went from the prescription to the symptoms, right? What, 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 what can we, what can the outcome be for, or yeah, the outcome be instead of the output, right? So what do you do instead? So the leadership says we need to be able to adapt to more complex circumstances. No, they Sinclair. don't say that. We want, we want more money. Um, We want to improve our ROA and we stuck with so much uh, inventory help us to make it better. Okay. Okay. We we always worked on business strategy. So it's a real example. We all all work on the business strategy, never help us significantly, help us to come with a business strategy will really make an impact. We all trying to resolve safety for so long. Mm -hmm. We never have a huge, like it's, it's, you're doing, you're moving forward and backward, forward and backward. Um, oh, there's a new acquisition and we know that we are going to fail. Help us not to fail with this acquisition. Right, right. That's an interesting narrative as well. You wouldn't consciously acquire a company thinking it was going to fail. What is hidden usually? So, but they all know that the majority failed. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay. So they're, not, they're not the risk, okay? So um, a serious company will do risk management, they're not the risk. Right. Now, um, that's, uh, you know, I, I acquired, let's say, in 100 million, 100 million, now I acquire something in billion. Okay, so now my risk level is higher. Mm-hmm. And everyone in the stock market is, is going to observe what I'm doing. So I need to be much more cautious. So uh, I, I know what happened in the past. I want to prepare better for the future. I understand that something, I, so you know, many, many, every, not many, not every, many managers or, or executives that we meet know that whatever done so far is not going to help them because they try it again and again right. and again, and they're still in the same. So what else? Um, and we, we explain them that, um, now how we started. So you are still using, uh, engineering tools or tools that more meant for, and thinking that more meant to deal with uh, complicated or simple problems and you're dealing with complex ones. So mm-hmm. you're missing tool set, you're missing the knowledge, we do have it. Um, very, it's a different way of thinking. So it takes a lot of time to train someone to work that way. You probably don't want to do that. So you, what you're doing, you, you, you're offloading it to someone and you're paying money in order to do it for you. Um, and I can tell you that every project that we've done so far end up with like unique results that they were wowed. Um, well, and, and I'm not surprised that they were unique. I mean, you're talking about unique challenges that are affected by the initial conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now go and find them, okay? So I, I, can, I can collect data, I can model it, I can run simulation. And based on those three, I can get, tell you, okay, those are the specific element in your environment that create a level of complexity. Mm-hmm. They're all straightforward. Uh, I'm going to burn what I'm doing. I'm going to burn what I'm doing. So, um, uh, because it's nice and it's, uh, help people to understand. Um, so I'm asking them, explaining what that, without saying what it's doing and what it's not doing. And, and no one can, no one can explain it. Okay. Okay. And then all you're doing, you're going to the board and you just draw a line and they'll laugh. 
Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. And then I'm telling them, okay, all of your solutions are here. You just don't see them. Right. Um, and it's always like that. Okay. Uh, like safety end up to be uh, started in bed maintenance. Obvious. In in pen maintenance. Yeah. No, in bed maintenance. Oh, so bad maintenance. The, yes. So the, the maintenance is is forced just to do a quick fix, not right. to stop production. Right. So what happened? Like it's coming again, again, again. It's coming again, again, again. It uh, causes people level of stress going up because mm-hmm. they see the bonus. So what they're doing? They're working faster. They're working yeah. faster. They're not paying attention. They're not paying attention. Bye bye finger. Yeah. Um. In a nutshell. So it's obvious to you. True. Like when I'm saying it, it's obvious, but they never mm-hmm. thought about it. Okay, well, all they've done is scrutinize, all they've done is pure engineering. So they broke the production into pieces. Mm-hmm. And, and said, this one has to go this fast, no matter what. Oh, no, what is wrong there? Yeah. Okay, uh, is welding good? Is, is, uh, um, is tacking good? Is QA good? Uh, we, have, are, we have the right people. Is the safety manager good? Oh, let's replace him. We replaced him many times. Um, but when you focus on, on, on something, so that's a problem with complexity. Complexity, um, you have to have the holistic view. Why? Because elements are connected. And something that sounds un, not necessarily connected somewhere in your organization might cause the problem that you're dealing right now. Mm-hmm. But if you just scrutinize the problem area, you don't see it. You know, it's like a, I have a problem in my kidney and I'm just breaking the kidney apart. And I'm not never look at the vessels that connect the kidney to the heart. And if I have a blockage in one of those vessels, the problem is there. Oh, it's true. Sure. But um, weird enough, organizations are not doing that. They will keep on breaking the problem apart. They will keep on replacing people. They will keep... Um, hey, guys, it's not there. You try. Well, I, I, think, I think you're on to something really important there. I mean, this is how medicine is structured. You don't look at the heart if you're looking at the kidney. But this is also silos in every organization. And, and your work on my interpretation, your work contributes to uh, reducing the impermeability of, of silos. Like it makes it easier to, to w- people to work across silos. A special case of that is acquisition. That is the very definition of a different building, right? It's another silo. How do we integrate it? So I, I think that um, you're almost sneaking in with the autonomy uh, angle at, at, because that, that is the, the ideal of breaking down silos between organizations, right? Yeah, so you, you, you're right on spot. So, you know, we have the eight elements of complex adaptive system always in front of our uh, eyes. We collect data, we know the organization, we know the culture. How can we squeeze it in? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay? Yeah. So you can't go to someone and tell, oh, do autonomy, but you can go and someone and tell, hey, why you are not giving more autonomy? Like, give, give a the opposite of, of autonomy is not working for you. Well, not even that. So um, let's say that if we have a problem, let's say it's customer support. Okay. Why won't you give customer support more uh, ability to make decision here? Like, let's think about, so here now come VSM. Let's think about uh, clear identity for them, check and balances. So you, you know that it's going and, and try it. Mm-hmm. And you know, they will try it and they will see huge improvement. Yeah. So um, you're right. What I did, I, I, I squeeze in what I initially wanted to do. 
<laughs> but in a way uh, that um, it's working for them and it's helping them actually to resolve a specific problem. So everyone is happy with, with end results, okay? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, you also wrote an article uh, that was what initially drew my attention to your work. And it was titled The Toyota Production System, Lean Management, and Why Agile Development is Not What It Meant to Be. So let's start at the top. What do you mean when you say agile development is not what it meant to be? What went wrong? Become too engineered. <laughs> okay. Uh, with uh, strict rules that you have to follow. Um, not uh, the concept of the Toyota production system. Okay. Well, so let's explore that because agile... Is Agile referring to the Toyota production system? Is, is that part of its genesis, that it was inspired by Lean? Inspired by. So, yeah. Well, you know, we, that's, we know it was inspired. So we know that at least the Scrum mm -hmm. was inspired by Toyota production system. And we know for sure that it was inspired by complex adaptive system, by the way. Okay. Which is so an umbrella over all these iterative... Scientific uh, ways how to uh, better deal with complexity. Okay. But, you know, uh, to, to be honest enough, there is like a, a um, hidden line that connects Zen and complex adaptive system and the Toyota production system, okay? Um, and um, the, the Toyota production system, if you think about it, it's heavily based on Zen. So, you know, two main principles, continuous improvement, well, very common in Zen. And coaching, well, very common in Zen. <laughs> um, and obviously, no, so there are tools how to use it, but that's the concept. That's, that's the kata or like, you know, the repetitive stuff that they expect mm -hmm. people to do. Um, Six Sigma is not part of the Toyota production system. No, no. no. Uh, but people tend to relate it to that and use it for some reason. So, uh, so, so back to your question, when, yeah. when someone takes Scrum or um, any kind of uh, um, agile, whatever, any yeah. kind of agile principles, yeah, well, you know, I went to a factory lately, like two weeks ago, and I saw a common board and it was all uh, filled with um, spider webs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because the way that they used it, it is very structural and it's not necessarily, uh, you know, if you're missing the basic, if the heart of the Toyota production system doesn't exist, so no, no continuous improvement in mind and no coaching to support it, then everything around, everything on top of it, it's rotten, okay? It doesn't work. And what I believe that I see when, so you know, my background is IT, I used to be a CIO. So uh, what, what, uh, what I see in IT groups is that um, the continuous improvement and the coaching does not exist. Mm -hmm. What, what holds the agile methodology is set of rules that you have to follow. Right. With the strict uh, um, um, terrorism mechanism to enforce you to do it. Yeah, you won't do it, you won't be here. <laughs> well, so this is my personal fascination, which is between uh, 
I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Daniel Kahneman's book, <laughs> Thinking Fast and Slow. Yeah, it very strikes me that there's a relationship between what you're describing and the world he's describing in which there's, there's wisdom, there's wisdom and discovery, if you will. And wisdom is only wise for a while. <laughs> and then it runs out of a, a, applicability. But when you have a, a fixed amount of time and you're facing a challenge, you have a choice between devoting time to discovering and applying rules you know already work, or at least have worked in the past. So you have efficiency and effectiveness. And it's and the departure between but from the philosophy to the tools seems natural to me that I don't have time to learn the whole philosophy. I don't have time to think about the whole philosophy. Just show me the tools and I'll get to work. It doesn't work. It, it, well, does it never work or is it a matter of over-relying so. on it? I don't think it's going to work. No? So my, from my experience, no, because someone creates something and created based on certain... So, you know, why it's so successful in Japan? Everyone knows Zen. Right. So when, when, when you're coaching someone, oh, okay, like you're the sensei, I am the monk. Uh, when you're talking about continuous improvement, okay, like you, you are continuously improving your knowledge about Zen. So you have this one, this one, so this one, and this one, and this one, and this one. And eventually the Toyota um, coaching system is like, find the problem and let's solve it together. And I'll teach you how to do it, okay? Um, and if you, if, you're, if you are missing that, which is the core, everything that was built on top of it will, will, will be, you know, like, you know, you know, you know, uh, Numi for sure. Yeah. So Toyota mm -hmm. and GM. GM never managed to replicate it in, in the States. The only place that managed to replicate it for some reason, which you can think about it, it was South Africa, South America. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Why? Because the culture is different. Right. Okay. So if you want to make it successful, you need to change people culture. Okay, and, and Toyota knows how to do it because Toyota knows the core of it. Okay, yeah. So yeah. when they send people to Japan, what they what what they taught them, the, the principle or like the two main principles. Okay, you have to improve all the time. You have to coach all the time. Right. <laughs> they are like right. intermingle. You don't have those two. You can push the undone code as much as you want, but what is what, what you're going to get? Right. Okay. Uh, so. Take it, um, take it to, to Agile principles. Um, they have some, so they, they rely on some basic concepts. I never saw a, an Agile coach teach you those principles. He teach you how to use Kanban. He teach you, yeah? So uh, he teach you the tool set. Right. But not the philosophy. Okay, and now it's not working. Why? So let me back up a little because I, in my imagination, see an important difference between uh, lean and agile. So in my mind, I look at lean and I look at its history uh, from, from TPS, from Toyota, as being how we refine the quality of an existing product over time by improving the production method. Whereas I look at lean as improving the design, improving the product itself. There are two components of, continu of continuous improvement. And so I would credit Tesla with being more agile 
than Toyota because it's constantly not just improving how we rivet things together, but also what we're riveting together. Is there any, is there anything to that? Like, how, do you see a distinction even between agile and lean? I'll, I'll, I'll use this in approach. <laughs> so do you know where most of the Toyota money is, influ- is, is, is going to it going right now? Do I know where most of the what, sorry? Where, where Toyota is uh, spending most of their time. Home, home robotics. Uh, on robotics? Home robotics. Okay. Why? Because they believe that that's the future. That's the same as the car when you ride horses. Do you say, ah. do you, no, but do, did you mean to say Toyota or Tesla? Toyota. Because Tesla is very devoted to the idea of automation as well. Okay. Home robotics. So Toyota put oh, a home lot- robotics. Excuse me. Home I missed robotics. that. Home okay. Robotics, okay. Um, so, you know, in Japan, there is a problem with the uh, elderly, but it's not really the case. So they believe that the future is there. Cars are going to be commodity. We don't want to be in. So now we are playing the role as much as we can, and we are doing a little bit of innovation, but they're not stupid. So someone there find, someone there change the focus because he understood where it's going. So I don't think that they are just improving the production line, okay? Okay. Um, and I don't uh, think that um, also, yeah, I don't think so. When they need to be creative on, on cars, they, they, they did it. When they decided that their focus is somewhere else, the focus simply went somewhere else. Interesting. Okay. I, I, I mean, I, I'm familiar with Asimo, uh, the little Honda robot, uh, but I didn't know they were still very much engaged in that. I know um, Boston. Boston Robotics was bought by Samsung, a Korean company. So that lends support to the idea that automotive is switching to home robot, or I guess personal robotics, it could be a term. Uh, Interesting. I don't know if you heard, but Tesla announced their intention to build a humanoid robot as well recently. So you might be onto something. Maybe this is like the big pivot for all the companies. Um, I, that's, that's what I know for a long time. So they, okay. they just use the automation of the production line as, as a starting point. Well, that's and, a fascinating and, idea. And you know, like this is really the future. So uh, if, if someone will sell you something that can do everything in your house, you'll buy it. You mm-hmm. pay like a car um, and they're the pioneers. So now we can collect I, data and, you know, like every, every the fascinating stuff, like you, you, if you think about you see how everything is <laughs> into, yeah. Yeah. So let's explore Numi a little bit more. The reason mm-hmm. I'm so fascinated by Numi is it covers a lot of the concepts that you bring up, the, the, the importance of culture between GM and Toyota. They had that joint venture called Numi, the new United Motor Manufacturing Inc. Mm-hmm. And they made... Toyotas and Chevys that were Toyotas with a Chevy badge. They just um, made Chevys. So they just made the Chevys in the beginning. Oh, they, didn't, they didn't make the Corolla. I know they made the Toyota. Well, that, that was like, uh, so it's new. Uh, Numi started just by creating Chevys. Okay. Interesting. Uh, okay. Even more interesting. So all they've done is the same Chevy that GM did. Really? Okay. I, yeah. I was under the impression it was making the, um, over time, he did it. Okay. Uh, up until they closed it. Okay. 
uh, and they're just doing now Toyota. Toyota has their own facility in the States. But um, it started with that, which it's even more fascinating because it's the Toyota way of doing stuff. Producing. With Chevy cars. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And keep on the story. Let's see if you... <laughs> okay. So um, th there was an interesting set of motivations there. So GM was shutting down that plant because there, it had a history of terrible labor relations and terrible quality, terrible productivity, terrible safety. So it, was a, it, it had a legacy of being a poorly run plant. The GM, GM's motivation was to learn from Toyota. And Toyota's motivation, I, uh, the way I interpret it, was to learn: can we can we succeed in America? Can we build cars in America? Can we can our culture work in America? Exactly. So, where why did it fail? Why did Numi shut down? Was it just circumstance? Oh, over. Oh, so in the beginning, it was huge success, mm -hmm. tremendous. So, um, okay, let, let's go like history. So, this is how it started. After one year, MIT was there for a visit, and this factory with the same people became uh, the best one that GM had. Mm -hmm. And it uh, uh, had, uh, like, it, it, um, it had better results of some factory in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, that reason why everyone, like Rick Madrid had, and like all of those stuff existing. Um, uh, like the National um, Museum, because uh, it was a pivot element in in, in America, okay, uh, and it influenced so many industries, including the software industry, okay, uh, and hence uh, the tight relationship between um, Toyota Production System and, and Agile. Um, now, after that, it you know it became to be a business. And in some point of time, Toyota didn't thought that uh, it's worth the effort. So uh, we already have our own, uh, we, we prove ourselves. We yes. open factories, we own the factories. Why we need this collaboration? Um, so someone else that called Tesla got the same factory. And um, there was another round of success there, yeah? Well, um, yeah. <laughs> guess I don't know who's going to be the next one to buy, it, but um, <laughs> probably uh, it will have it be successful. Well, I, I'll, I'll I'll bet you uh, we will live long enough to see Toyota robots being built there. That would be fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I doubt it. They probably will build it in Japan. Interesting. Or, or uh, did I say Toyota robots? I meant Tesla robots. Excuse ah, me. Yeah. Tesla robot. Tesla oh. robots. Yeah. You're right. Good call. Um, it's a different production line, though. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, but it would be interesting to see how they go about it. So I have a couple of other questions. Uh, this has been fascinating. Thank you for, for sharing your thoughts today. Um, I have a couple more questions than a final question. So the the, I'm changing direction now to talk about current events. And the most current event, the most impactful event, of course, is the pandemic. Um, how are businesses adjusting to COVID-19? Badly? Basically? <laughs> Sorry? Badly. Badly. Okay. What, what, why is that? Because they think it's um, a change to a new normal. And they don't okay. understand it's uh, just increasing in the frequency of changes. Mm. So 
So, you know, the world will become more, Stephen Hawking was right. The, the world will become more complex. And one of the um, symptoms of this complexity is uh, the frequency of changes are more often. Okay, so, so you know, so, uh, and, and, and just, so they said, oh, COVID done, and everyone was happy, and now came the Omicron, okay? And this, so, um, with this will done, there will be a financial crisis. This, so there's always something, okay? And I, I say horrible because I didn't see, well, I saw very few that understand it and change the way that they are operating to deal with complexity. So again, you need to work. So there's fundamental basic changes. We just touch uh, autonomy, okay? But there's like, uh, so there's a self uh, management and there's distribution of control. And th th there are several base. So those are two basic to understand the difference between how organization working today and how um, systems that deals better with complexity are working. Right. So yeah. as long as you don't see this trend happening on organization, and back to your uh, passion, now you understand, I hope, better why Elon is so successful because he does. So Elon is very keen about uh, system uh, thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, if you go and search, like he actually has videos, him explaining system thinking. And system thinking is uh, including the tool set behind system thinking um, developed by MIT are, are a basic way to deal with, to understand complexity, to, to visually depict complexity and, and, and understand what causes it. Um, so it's not just uh, doing the structural changes in the way that he runs his operations, also utilizing tool set that exists out there to deal with that. How many other organizations you know they're doing it? I'm just aware of two. What are they? One is Zappos, one is Nucor. Nucor, okay. So let me, let me let me turn back a little bit because um, you I, I think that you and I are in agreement that the more a company is capable of making changes and also recognizing where changes need because it has that autonomy. You know, they always say that snow melts at the edges, right? So you need people, you need awareness. You can't just be waiting for orders. You need to be at the edge understanding how to deal with the changes in the world. Um, the, the reason COVID was so impactful today is because there's so many interrelationships uh, between everything in the world that the, the Spanish flu was different because back then the system that you were part of was much simpler. True. It was a complicated problem. Now it's complex. And so what I think, I think the point we could draw is that we're inevitably, we're in some ways we're more vulnerable to changes to the world like COVID so we need to be more flexible in how we respond. So um, w let's put it slightly different. We need to be responsive and not reactive. So the flock of birds are responsive. They have uh, genes that prepare them to deal with the unknown, okay? Our organization are more reactive. When something happened, oh, what we are going to do about it? So now you're getting into two words that sound synonymous, but have an important distinction. So what is the difference between responding and reacting? 
when you are unprepared for something and it's happening, you're reacting to that. No, no previous thinking. You know, just uh, uh, going back to Kangaman, like uh, thinking fast and slow. Right. You're you're thinking fast. There's no slow thinking. Just whatever you are, whatever whatever pattern exists in your head, you pick and you do it. Okay. Uh, when you're responsive, you uh, prepare yourself ahead of the time to something that unknown. And when the unknown is uh, happening, you're thinking through it because you mm-hmm. know. We have tools how to do it. Right. Um, by the way, we are using him pretty extensively in our work. Just <laughs> when, when we collect As... data, we, we collect like what is the, like which part of the organization thinking fast and slow and how. Right. It has, it has a huge impact on, on dealing with complexity. Okay. And now you understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that as long as you don't see, so what, what Elon is doing, for example, he's creating an organization that knows, like it, it's a responsive organization, yeah? yeah? It's not a reacting organization, true? Well, so let me see if I can offer an example on that. Every other car company is like, well, we don't have the chips we need, so we got to shut down our production line because it's either the chips or it isn't. And Elon's companies are like, well, redesign around the chip find a different way and they're able to continue you nail it down very clearly but why because there's 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 he created something that teach taught people how to do it mm-hmm. okay it's not happening because they are unique people it happen, it's happening because they have different the, the organization culture and the way that it's set up is different well it's i i think of it in terms of muscles they've developed muscles to make changes all the time. And they had to, because that's how you make a successful electric car. But if you are accustomed to changing your cars 10% every four years, you don't have those muscles, right? Um, You talked about the, the tendency for organizations to embrace a new normal. Um, And I think that, I think the point, forgive me if I'm saying the wrong thing, but I think you're making the point that people are saying, okay, let's adjust to a new static life. I actually find that people are trying to get back to the old normal, even if it's not true, they're desperately trying to return to the old normal. That's even worse, yeah? That's even worse. Um, All right. But I guess they're both symptoms of the same thing, which is this tendency to think that we need things to stay the same for us to be happy. Basic human, oh, well, but, uh, you know, this is, okay, let's go like thousands of years back, okay? This is how we were wired. Mm-hmm. The, in order to survive, you see something in the jungle, okay? You have to react, no response. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you like, uh, you don't want to deal with unknown. So what you're doing, you're trying to make it as known as you can. Mm-hmm. So going back to normal, what it means, it's going back to something that I know. I know I feel comfortable with. Yeah. There's less stress. It's like being the third dry cleaner on the same street. Hmm? (laughs) At least, you know, they're making business there. You don't have to think through anything. Um, So I know that uh, you come with a, uh, first of all, every, every situation is unique. Every prescription is unique. Every, every solution is unique. Um, but if I'm a company that's struggling because of COVID, what are the kinds of things you're looking for? What levers are you hoping to find 
to help them adjust to this constant need for for adapt adaptation. So to have the basic component that uh, create adaptation, mm-hmm. um, and that should be. So we said uh, self management. Okay. Okay. Distribution of control. Mm-hmm. Um, interconnectivity. So you need to create teams that are hybrid and not um, silos. So kind of breaking the silos. Mm-hmm. Missing something. Ah, and and, and mission or no, and feedbacks, 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 feedback. So feedback loop. So th- if you don't have those four in place, science wise. This is not, I didn't invent it. You won't have any adaptability or another feature that's called emergent behavior. You know, so emergent behavior are behavior that uh, the group has, but individual in the group are missing. Um, and, and those two are key to deal, to be responsive, okay? So I would start with those four, because if you don't have them, you don't have anything on top of it. Um, now, Identity or vision or mission, I prefer identity, are, are important for the self-management portion and for the distribution of control. Yeah. Okay, but not for the interconnectivity and not for the feedback loops. Interesting. Why does it not help with inter- interconnectivity? Because interconnectivity is just the fact that you create as much connectivity between all the elements in the system, regardless of the... And, and it's not enough to have identity to accomplish that? No, no, so uh, not at all. Well, so, let, let, me, let, me give you, let me share an anecdote and, and let me see if I'm missing the point, which is okay. entirely possible. Um, Dr. Dan Rasky was a NASA... Uh, pers- leader of the commercial orbital transportation system or one of the leadership in that program. And he was seconded to, or working closely with SpaceX. And he observed a, a situation where one team was designing uh, the fuel tank or the oxygen tank. And within their cost and weight allowance, they couldn't make it strong enough. And so they approached the team that was making the thermal protection system and because the thermal protection system had extra strength to allow for the landing or the, the re-entry, it was strong enough to support the tank structure. And so it took two very different teams to work together to come up with a solution that was better for the entire vehicle, but actually compromised one team to help the other. That was working across, it was an example of working across silos. And Dr. Rasky said the reason that this was possible within the organization is because they had a shared mission and they had stock options. <laughs> so they they had it they they viewed the company as a as a whole as opposed to working on their own silos and and the reward structure within their own silos. It strikes me that that is that does imply that you can break down silos with a shared identity. Is so you, you can break silos with a shared identity, okay? But you don't have the shared, you don't need to have the shared identity to break silos. That's what I'm trying to say. I so, see. 
Okay. So let, let, let's take uh, let's take Nuco, okay, which is highly distributed. Uh, so every every group in Nuco has autonomy. Every factory within a group has autonomy, total autonomy. Okay, um, and you can you can observe how different elements are are, are working because they have autonomy, so not they're not working the same. True. Okay. Um, so you can see uh, groups that uh, doesn't have any identity. But due to the fact that Nucor is keen about uh, um, interrelationships, so there will be, let's start from the fact that every two years or three, you're going to get another job in another part of Nucor that not necessarily fit to your skill sets. Um, so you're going to be stretched, but the idea is that uh, you're going to create relationship, okay? Um, visiting cross business unit is extremely common. So um, they, they have a really elaborate ways how to create interconnectivity um, um, between to a level that uh, I'll say, oh, someone, uh, I know, I think I know this guy is from New York and I saw him and my counterpart would say, no, I know everyone. And he's not in, in, in this location, he's in different locations. I know everyone that pay, uh, pay, pay visit to this location. He wasn't there at that time. Wow. Make sense? Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and, and there are other organizations that have very clear identity, but they don't have this, they didn't create this level of interconnectivity. And I think uh, Tesla is um, missing this level of interconnectivity. As far as I know, I'm not an expert there. Mm -hmm. I, I never worked there. I don't know anyone there, just from reading. Um, but Tesla has a very clear identity, yeah? Yes, um, yes. So, Interconnectivity grows regardless, or you can grow it regardless. Okay, uh, and our simple, you know, even a coffee, you know, a coffee, a coffee, a common coffee place is, is a way to create interconnectivity. True? Right, right, yeah. I mean, there, there are. Uh, I think that that was one of the the design philosophies of um, uh, what what is the. Uh, movie studio that did Toy Story um, that Steve Jobs yeah, had yeah. a hand in, in starting. Right. Something yeah. like Magic Works or something. I don't um, remember. I know anyway, what anyway, that that studio, they deliberately designed the company so that everybody had to pass through the same hallway. And that, that there could be that, oh, hey, since you're here, I got to ask you what color you want the cape to be or whatever, that they could run into one another. Um, you know, in, in Zappos, everyone oh, used to, in Zappos, everyone used to, I don't know what happened right now, but everyone had to do two weeks, I think, or a month, I don't remember, in health, in a support desk. Okay. Yeah. Answering customers. So now you have like people from all over the country, uh, from all over the company, sitting together in one cube or several cubes and answering people and obviously guess to which level of interconnectivity they're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Zappos and I forgot the name of this studio because um, so Zappos and this studio were uh, created based on concept of complex adaptive system. Zappos was designed to work. So I know someone that worked there and his expertise is complex adaptive system and Zappos was designed to work around complex adaptive system. I just looked it up. It's Pixar. Big, yeah, Pixar. Pixar is what we were thinking of. Sure. So this has been fantastic, Nadia. I have one final question. You've mm -hmm. referred to uh, Zen. 
Um, <laughs> so you say that daily meditation allows you to be calmer and more productive. Mm -hmm. So I will confess I've tried meditation. To me, it was just being stressed with my eyes closed. <laughs> so what is the secret? Did you, how long did it take you to find a benefit from meditation? How do you go about it? It's individual. So it was fast for me, mm -hmm. like four months. Um, but let's start from there that you don't. So there are so many ways of meditation. Um, the Zen way you are not, you shouldn't close your eyes. Okay. You shouldn't push everything back. Like everything that you heard about meditation is actually not what you're doing, okay? Um, I felt it fast. I know people that took them six months a year. So what is your what is your practice? When do you do it? What, are you, what are you focusing on? Okay, I'm doing it I, I'm about myself. I'm doing it every day, one okay. hour uh, in wow. the morning. Um, um, and I'm following like the Zen practice. So I sit uh, half lotus, uh, eyes open, focus on the wall, uh, no movement. Uh, no one's going to hit me with a bamboo stick, but uh, <laughs> if I'm moving, I'm, I'm thinking about someone going to do it to me. Okay. Um, and um, I'm just, so there, there are two things that I'm doing in the beginning, you focus on your breathe, breathing. So you count your breathing. Every time that, uh, from one to 10, every time that you didn't reach, uh, you, you're confused in your breathing, it means that your mind went somewhere else and you have to start from the beginning. Uh, then um, if you're more advanced, um, you, you should take a, a koan and try to think. Uh, so now what was your face before your mother and father uh, convinced, uh, created you? Uh, that's uh, like a, a nice uh, koan. So you have to go and think like, okay, what was my face before my mother and father mm. even thought about me? Um, and um, that um, keeps you focused on, on one element. Over time, you feel, it's a strange feeling, but you feel that you are, it's empty. You will nowhere. Wow. Your mind will empty. And uh, those sequences start and grow and grow and grow and grow. Um, but, you know, it's also come with deep realization about life. So we spoke before. Um, I would say whatever I want. I won't think <laughs> twice, okay? Because I understood that there's nothing... Uh, if my so I I left the CEO position uh, to stop what we discuss about. My wife was she didn't sleep for I don't know six months um, because no money. So you know you you used to be a CIO. It's uh, like it, it's a eleven billion uh, operation. So your compensation is pretty good, and now you uh, leave it and you start your own. So very fast you find out that all of your previous connection are just because of your title. Mm. And now you have to build everything from scratch uh, and it's, it's stress, okay? I slept every night extremely well. <laughs> she couldn't sleep. Um, it just gives you, because why? Because when, when you are doing those koans, when you're doing this meditation, you realize life goes up and down. Mm -hmm. So if now, as, as, as deeper that you're going to go down, you have to smile more because it means that it's upper you're going to go after that, yeah? That's um, great. And it's like, you know, perception of life well this conversation was an up for me so thank oh. you very much for being on the show natty i appreciate it for me as well thank you very much as well my guest today was natty gurr a link to natty's linkedin profile will be in the show notes my name is tim hampton and you can reach me at tim 
at unusuallywellinformed.com. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll subscribe and join me for the next show with another unusually well-informed leader in business and technology. Thank you for listening to the Unusually Well-Informed podcast. The opinions expressed by the host and guests on the Unusually Well-Informed podcast are their own and do not reflect that of their employer or any other affiliation.